Hi, welcome to the Members Only Podcast. In this episode, we'll hear Diane Kada speak about the laws of Shabbat, explaining principles and giving us the tools we need to understand this very important day in the Jewish week. Okay. Okay. Ah, we have the row. Okay, so. So what I'm gonna have to do is. What I'm gonna have to do. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to do is I'm gonna have to um, stream from my phone, and then share the screen. At the same time. So can everyone hear me? We can hear you. Can you all hear Rabbi, me? Just put a thumbs up if you can hear me. Yeah. Rabbi, okay. I'll just say okay. I'll, Rabbi, can you hear me? Yeah, I'll just Go say ahead. a few yeah. words and then yeah, okay, perfect. Um okay, good. So uh, welcome everyone. It's uh, great to see you all. Thank you for coming to the third installment of our Yochot Shabbat series with Dayan Kada. It is an honor to have the Chacham with us, and uh, thankfully. This is only the third installment out of eight for this specific series. So God willing, we have him lined up for more shiurim coming up and God willing, many more series in the future. Bezat Hashem. Uh, just some quick updates. The Chabura is excited to announce that our third edition of our journal, Principles, has just been released yesterday. So uh, check that out. And uh, if you like it, please share. Uh, for our members in New York, New Jersey, on Wednesday, a members-only Chabura meeting is planned with Dayan Ofer Livnat. There's going to be a meal, Bezrat Hashem, and questions and answer session. So if you're in the area, I highly suggest uh, to go check that out. More information is on our Discord chat. Um, overall, in the members portal on the Habura website, you can stay updated on all the wonderful shiurim we have lined up and catch up with video and audio recordings on all the past shiurim. Uh, guys, seriously, take advantage. Join the Discord. Bother the rabbis with questions. Join the shiurim. Baruch Hashem, this is a wonderful initiative. Um, regarding questions, feel free uh, feel free to drop the questions you have in the chat box. Uh, raise your hand. It's up to the Dayan on how many questions to take. And God willing, we'll also have time for questions at the end. Uh, for those interested, the source sheet was dropped in the chat box. I'll share it again. And uh, with that said, thank you so much. Uh, the stage is yours, Rabbi. Okay, thank you, Ahad, for the introduction. Uh, lovely to be here again with everyone. I'm sorry about the delay. Um, but let's get straight down to it. Um, so we are up to our third year, as was said, and we have been doing principles of Chot Shabbat and mainly Melechet Mahshevet we've been doing. So that's what we plan on finishing tonight. Tonight we want to finish Melechet Chalegufa, which we began last time, Mekalkel, Mitkayem, and Metakem. That's the plans for tonight. We need to get through quite a lot, so we're going to try to go a bit fast. Remember, the source where we discussed the first year to the Gemara in Beitzah, Melechet Mahshevet Asra Torah. That's the principle here. And there are six things we said, which we went through. The first year, we went through the whole thing of Mitkaven, all the rules of Psik We learned about the Rabbanan, Loni Hale, Safek Psik Reshev, Karovli Psik We learned about Psik with Amira Le'akum. Um, we discussed also Psik with the Grama. We went through the whole point of Grama last time. And we explained that, you know, we, we don't do a grammar outright, but we do allow. Um, and then last time we also went into and we explained the two interpretations of what this means. Either that you're doing something to 
get rid of something or you're doing it for different purpose as it was in the Mishkan. And we explained that according to almost all the Rishonim, that Patur, but Rambam was Posek like Rabbi Yehuda, that Hayab. But we saw Maran in a few places in Shohan Aruch, is Posek that is Patur, but at the same time he does mention Chitat Rambam that it is Hayav, he cannot ignore the, um, the opinion of the Rambam, so he does quote the opinion of Rambam. Yeah, if you missed any of the first two Shurim, they are fundamental for the Chod Shabbat. I said this the first time. Um, if a person knows all these principles, then 50% of the questions people have for the Chod Shabbat dissipate because it's all about applying the principles. When you know the principles, then it's very easy to apply them. Just need to have the confidence to, to, to apply them. So, we explained the different parameters to it last time. Now, we left off by saying this. I want to take this a bit further. Even though we are posek, that it's patur, nonetheless, it's the most severe of all the paturim of Malachet Mahshevet. It's the most severe. Which is why we find sometimes hachamim wa matir certain drabbanans, but they did not allow even for a dead body, for example. A dead body which is causing a smell and it's not appropriate both for the dead body and for the people around. Nonetheless, Ruhan Aruch, in his first opinion, which is his main opinion, he says, only mutar only karmelit. To take it to a place where it's only drabbanan. He doesn't allow you to take it straight out, even though, look in the second opinion, some allow you to even take it out of Shutarabim. Why? Because this is a melacha You are doing this for the purpose of getting rid of something, not for the purpose of transporting the dead body from one place to another. You don't want the dead body to be in the Shutarabim. You just want to get rid of it. So this is a classical melacha Nonetheless, even though there's Kavod Hamet involved and there's Kavod Abiriyot also involved, there's two elements here, Nonetheless, in the Stam opinion in Shohan Aruch, he only allowed you to take it out of a Karmelit. Why? They're both the Rabbanans. Both Karmelit is the Rabbanan and Melacha Shinatzichal Gufa is the Rabbanan. Nonetheless, Melacha Shinatzichal Gufa is a far more severe kind of the Rabbanan. In fact, it's the most severe the Rabbanan. And therefore, even though Maran is material to take out a Karmelit, he doesn't allow you to do Melacha Shinatzichal Gufa. We find, and the Mishnah Brah makes this point very clearly. In Shin Membet, I'm not going to go through it, but he says there are various things. So, for example, um, we know that Ben Ashmashot, one is allowed to do a Drabbanan Nitzorich Mitzvah. That's the rule. That's the, yeah, remember that. Ben Ashmashot, and we, we are Posek, by the way, Sfaradim are Posek, that this applies both on Friday night and on Saturday night. Some Poskim take on the Mishnah Burai's Monotet to say that only applies on Friday evening. When Shabbat hasn't come in, we have the principle that Ben Ashmashot. This period of time, you can do a drabbanan at Sorech Mitzvah, but not on Saturday night when it's already Shabbat. However, we are posse that both on Friday night and on Saturday night, one can do a drabbanan ben ashmashot at Sorech Mitzvah. So, for example, a person, a classical example, two weeks ago, we had Tisha B'Av. So, people need to prepare the books, prepare the seats in the synagogue. So, this is a Sorech Mitzvah. It's a drabbanan of preparation, and it's benashmashot. It's permissible to do that, to prepare the synagogue for Tisha B'Av on Saturday night, because it's a shvut benashmashot, the tzorich mitzvah. However, this doesn't apply, say the poskim to melacha sheinat gufa, because it's a more severe one. Therefore, this rule doesn't apply. So whenever you have, and we'll see this as well when we talk about shvut de shvut, when you have two drabbanans. Now, you can't just assume that if something is a melachah, it's a drabbanan, and all the classical rules apply to it. It doesn't work like that. This has its own set of rules, melachah, especially according to Rambam, it's hayab, that's pashut. But even, uh, even to us, that we are prosecuted drabbanan, it is still going to be a problem. And one final place where we find this is, and this is, can be applicable as well sometimes, is Maran writes, Mutar haner sakana. One can extinguish the candle for a chole who has sakana. So you have a candle, you want to extinguish the candle. This is a melacha, because the classical, um, 
the classical extinguishing in the Mishkan was to extinguish in order to rekindle. Here, you're extinguishing just because you don't want the light. So that's not the melacha which was done in the Mishkan. Therefore, this is a melacha she'ina tzicha legufa. Nonetheless, Shulchan Aruch does not allow you, if you're a chole she'en bo sakana, he does not allow you to extinguish the candle. Ait the Rabbana. Nonetheless, he doesn't allow it. He only allows it for chole she'esh bo sakana. If there's a danger to life, then of course you can. But chole she'en bo sakana, he does not allow it. The reason being is that this is a melacha she'ina tzicha gufa. And therefore, it's more severe. Now, this doesn't apply, by the way, to electricity. If a person is ill in bed and he's at home and there's no goy to come and switch the light off, you are allowed yourself to switch the light off, preferably with a shinui. Right? This is not going to go into all the details now, but when a person is a holesh, that means he's bedridden. There's, the three choices are as follows. The best thing is to get a goy to come and switch the light off. If there isn't a goy, then you yourself can switch the light off with a shinui. So you do it with your elbow, for example. Um, and if even that's not possible, then you can even extinguish it outright. Um, and so, but a candle though, which is a real isur do'oraita, if you were to do it for the purpose of rekindling it, even though you're not doing it for the purpose of rekindling it, it's a isur rabbanam because of malachah shinatzichar gufa. That's not permissible to be done. So here we have we look at the source sheet. And even according to the poskim, hold it's It's still not allowed because it's a very severe melacha So that's important to bear in mind always. Don't think straight out has the classical rules of a shvut of a drabanan. It doesn't. And in many cases, the normal rules which apply to the Rabbanan do not apply to Malacha Shainat Yichal Gufa. Is that clear? Good? Okay. Now, one final point about this. What's the difference between Malacha Shainat Yichal Gufa and um, Psikreshe? So we talked in detail in the first year about Psikreshe. And the difference the Kesem Mishneh explains here, but it's very nicely done by the Aruch HaShulchan. Let's see it inside. Aruch HaShulchan of Epstein. He says, he says, think about mitzvot. Yeah, we have a principle that there's a mahloket, whether mitzvot tzrichot kavana or not. Okay, we are posek la'alacha, that with the Rabbanans, mitzvot enan tzrichot kavana, with Dauraita there are tzrichot kavana. So before you blow the shofar, you need to have kavana that you're blowing the shofar for the mitzvah of blowing the shofar. However, the Rabbanans, you don't need to have in mind that you're doing it for the purpose. It's a mahloket about it. But everyone agrees that if you have negative intention, i.e. you're doing a mitzvah and you intend, I don't want this to be the mitzvah. So for example, you lift the lulava and you have in mind, I don't want to fulfill the mitzvah now until I've said the beracha. Everyone agrees, lo yatsa. So he extends this also to Shabbat. Let's have a look. V'chenu b'mlechet Shabbat. T'vaday ba'inan k'shosem melacha ha'asura yechavenna. V'na kavana me'akeb. Kavanah cannot be the critical factor. You'll do all the melachot. No, I don't intend to do this. I'll cut the head of the chicken and I'll say I don't intend to kill it. It doesn't work like that. You can't use that excuse. So you can't say I didn't have kavanah. So with mitzvot, we have a mahloket, trichot kavanah, inan trichot kavanah. But with Shabbat, we say, you did the action, the action being done, if you are full intention what you're doing, but you're doing it for a different purpose to the Mishkan, it's as if you're doing a mitzvah with intention not to be your when you're cutting the head of the chicken or you are closing the door of the farm and the, uh, the door and, and the, the deer is there, you don't have any kavana, but we say it's as if you've had kavana. 
when you're digging a hole and you intend to dig the hole, but you're not doing it to make a hole to plant in, but just because you need the earth, then that is garatefe, that's worse, and therefore it's not doraita. So can we see the difference between psikreshe and melacha Psikreshe, you didn't have kavana, but we say it's as if you had the kavana. So you cut the head of the chicken. I wasn't intent. I was intended to play with the head, but part of your action, even though you didn't intend to kill the chicken, that's psikreshe hayav for it. So it's like mitzvah. You did you mitzvah stam without intention. We assume you had it for the right kavana. Also here, you cut the head of the chicken to play with, but we assume that you intended to kill it as well. However, when you have do a mitzvah and you intend not to be yotzer, then that negative intention works to make the mitzvah not a mitzvah. So too, when you do a meracha and you intend positively to do it for a different purpose than in the mishkan, then this is considered uh, uh, not a proper mechaven, rather it's melacha shinatzichal gufa, and therefore it's only asur as we follow midrabanan. Okay, that concludes Melacha Sheina Tzricha Legufa. Do we have any questions on this before we move on to the third, the third principle of Metaken or Mekalkel? Is that clear? Anyone want to unmute? Go ahead now. I can't see everyone. So if you want to have a question, just unmute. Otherwise, we'll move on. Okay. If anyone doesn't understand, wants me to repeat, more than happy to repeat. Okay. Feel free if I'm. If you want to uh, understand something. Okay, so now we move on to the third petur of Melechet Mahshevet, the third exemption, and this is the principle of Mekalkel. When you do something in a destructive or negative manner, and we'll have to explain what exactly this means. So the source for this is the Gemara, which we saw last time, where the Gemara says that Chofer Guma, if you dig a hole and you don't need the hole, but you just want the earth, it's patur. And the Gemara gives two reasons why patur. Either because which we've discussed, or even according to Rabbi Yehuda holds, here he will agree that if you dig the hole and because it's mekalkel, it's a destructive act. And therefore, Harambam, who is posek, that nonetheless holds that when you dig the hole and you, don't, you only need the earth, he still holds that patur, that you are exempt. Why? Because it's mekalkel. And here he puts in the first chapter where he puts all the principles, he writes, If you injured someone, you took out blood. If you tore clothes or you burnt them or you broke vessels in a destructive manner, because you have done the melacha in a kilkul, in a destructive manner. Similarly, if you dig a hole and you only need the earth, it's mekalkel and patur. Since you intend to be mekalkel, you are digging a hole, and this is a kilkul, therefore you are patu. So even though merambam holds, nonetheless, if you dig a hole, that's, this is a destructive uh, thing you are doing, and therefore it's not doraita. Melechet machshebet in the Torah means you're doing something productive. You're doing it for a positive reason. If you're doing it for a kilkul, then it's no longer doraita, it's a darabanan. Now, the, both the, the Rav Magid and the Beit Yosef, they both, both explain that that which Harambam writes, that if you dig the hole and you only need the earth, your patur, is only in a place like in your home, where that's in those days, that would be their uh, ground, would be earth. And if you're digging, a, you need the earth, you're digging a hole in your, uh, in your floor, in your home, that's kilkur. But if you're just doing it in the field, where it makes no difference either way, and you need the afar, that's not going to be considered a kilkul. And what we see from this is a few things. Number one we see is that in order for something to be considered a kilkul, it has to be positively a kilkul. Meaning, 
if you just do something and it's got no positive purpose, that's not considered kilkur. That's not considered a, a destructive manner of doing the melacha. In order for it to be a kilkur, it has to be that it's positively destructive. So you're digging a hole in your home, in the earth, that's positively destructive. If you're doing it in the field and you've got no intent, you've got no, you don't really care about this field, that's not going to be a kilkul and you'll still be hayav on that. And we see this in Arambam when he writes in Perak Yudarif, Hakotev al menat lekalkel ha'or hayav. If you write, to destroy the, the hide, you're still chayav. So you are defacing with the graffiti a hide. And there's no positive, there's nothing positive from what you're doing. In fact, you're destroying the hide. Nonetheless, this is still considered hayav. Why? Number one, the fact that you're destroying the hide, we don't care about that because we're talking about the Melachah of Kotev. You have written, since you have written, that's the Melachah. Either hide's being destroyed, that's something else. But the Ketav is the Ketav, it's there. Are you going to ask me what's he getting from this? There's no, doesn't seem to be a positive, uh, positive intention with this. Nonetheless, it doesn't matter. Even though there's a Kilkul to the Or, as long as there isn't a kilkul in the actual kitab itself, it's not considered a kilkul, it's not considered something destructive, and therefore you are going to be hayab. So we see from Arambam basically that kilkul has to be something which is actually something negative and not just there's no positive benefit to it. Um, another po important point is that we see from this, is that even when there's a side benefit, it's still considered a kilkul. So, you are digging this hole, and this hole is destructive in your home. Nonetheless, it's, and even though you're going to use the earth which you're digging, this is still considered a kilkul. I am getting a positive benefit from the fact that I'm going to use the earth, Nonetheless, that's a kilkul, because in the actual action which you are doing, the digging itself, the horesh, that is something which is destructive. I am getting a side benefit from it. Since that side benefit doesn't come from the melechet horesh, that's still considered a kilkul. We find a similar svara in a few places. For example, to break open a door, or in Shohan Aruch in 314, to break open a barrel to get the wine. Even if you consider that to be soter, that's not going to be da'oraita because that's kirkur. You're destroying the, the barrel. You're destroying the, the door. I am getting a benefit. I'm destroying the door and I'm going inside to get something from the room. That's still considered a kirkur because as long as the side benefit isn't novea, doesn't come from the action itself, that's considered a kirkur. Is that clear? This also is used when it comes to some hole, when it comes to opening letters, to open a letter on Shabbat, to tear open the letter, it's kirkul, I am going to get a benefit that I'm going to be able to read the letter inside. Nonetheless, it's still considered a kirkul because the actual act of tearing is a kirkul, it's a destructive action which you are doing, even though I'm going to get a side benefit of the letter inside. The halakha you should know, I'm not going to go into this now, but halakha you should know is that it's definitely mutar to ask a goy to open the letter if there's any need. Some even allow you to open the letter itself straight out, but that's a discussion for another time. But the point we see is that when the kilkul is a side benefit, then it's mutar. This can be contrasted with Rambam and the Gemara, which Rambam tells us, if you says Arambam that if you hurt someone 
and you are doing it in order to release your stress. This is, you know, this is your emotional satisfaction as they translate it here. So this, you know, what you're doing is you are extracting blood, which is either a melacha of shochet. One of the 30 melachot is shochet, to slaughter and taking our blood. Or as Rambam understands it, it's a problem of dash. You're threshing, you're extracting the blood from the animal or the human being. But I'm not using the blood. That's melachah shetcha haya, fine. But you could argue that this is a kilkul. This is a destructive thing which I am doing. I am, uh, you know, destroying the animal, I'm tearing apart the animal, or I'm hurting the human being. That's a kilkul. No, that's not a kilkul. Because can you see the difference between this case and a case where you are getting the side benefit from something else? When I'm destroying the door, in the actual destruction of the door, there's no tikkun. The only tikkun, the only benefit which I get is that I can now access the room and get the thing which I wanted. Whereas here, the actual act of injuring the animal or the human being, that in itself for you makes you happy. And therefore that, even though the way you are doing it is a kilkul, you're doing something bad, nonetheless, since it's bringing you emotional satisfaction, that's considered a tikkun and you are going to be hayam. Same principle we find with the Rambam when he says, with tearing. If you tear something just because you want to destroy it for no particular reason, you're patur, because that's a kilkul. Tearing in the Mishkan was you tore in order to, um, in order to be a tofer, in order to use what you, are, what you are tearing or to have some benefit from it. But if however you do kriya over a dead person or you tear in your anger, you're extremely angry about something and you tear your clothes or you break something, since you are, uh, this, re this relaxes you and re releases your impulses, therefore you are going to be hayab. So it's not correct to say that every destructive action which you do is considered a kirkul. That's not correct. If there is a side benefit in what you're doing, then it depends. If the side benefit is directly and inextricably linked with the action which you are doing, then that will be hayab. Like Rambam writes, with tearing something out of anger or injuring someone out of anger. There, there is a benefit, a side benefit, but it's a benefit directly from the action which you are doing in the milakha which you are doing, therefore hayab. However, when you are destroying something, and the side benefit is removed from the actual act of destruction, i.e. I'm breaking the door down to get something within the room. So that side benefit is not a di directly linked to the actual act of hashhata, the actual act of breaking the door down. Therefore, that's considered patur and not hayab. Is everyone with me still? Yeah. Does that make sense? So that's really important when it comes to uh, kirkul, understanding the two different types of kirkul that there are, right? Not every kirkul is going to be a kirkul. Um, it has to be something where it's destructive. We've explained it has to be positive destructive, not just that I'm not getting any benefit from it. It has to be that there's a negative point here. And the negative points cannot have a side benefit from the melacha itself. If it's got a side benefit, that's fine. That's going to be kirkul and rabbana. If it's a side benefit in the actual action which you're doing, then that's going to be hayab, like when you tear the clothes out of anger or you hurt someone out of anger. But opening a letter, tearing the letter open or breaking the door down, that's definitely going to be kirkul. And that will be a sur only mid rabbanan, not from the Torah, because it is... Um, because it's uh, it's not it's not it's not the proper way you do things. The biur halacha extends this also to erasing something in order to to uh, in order to rectify. So the the real melacha of mohek is when you mohek al menat You erase 
al You are raised in order to write in its place. That's what they would do in the Mishkan. When they would write on the Kerashim, on the beams, they would erase the writing in order to write in its place. That's the real Mohet. Says the Biwalakha based on this Rambam. So too, if you erase something and there is a, a benefit in the actual act of erasing, that will still be Hayav according to Rambam. So let's say you have a contract with someone, you owe someone money, and you erase that on Shabbat. Even though it's not Almanat Lichtov, you don't have intention to write in its place. Nonetheless, because there is a tikkun, I know I now there's no longer proof that I owe the person the money. That's going to be considered a tikkun. And that won't be mekalkel, and that's going to be still hayab. Same idea. Okay, any questions on the principle of metaken, uh, mekalkel, um, and the applications of it? So that's a regular drabanan, and you do something for a, a destructive purpose, and there's no intrinsic side benefit, that's going to be an isur drabanan. Okay. Moving on now to Mitkayem. So the fourth petur which we have of Melechet Mahshevet is there has to be permanent. Now what's very interesting here is Harambam doesn't list this exemption in chapter one. In chapter one, he lists all the exemptions which apply across board, across all the Melachot. And he does that with Mekalkel, he does that with Kavana. He doesn't do that with Mitkayem. The principle of Mitkayem means that in order for something to be a sur from the Torah, it has to be permanent. It can't be transient. However, we don't find this in many Melachot. In most Melachot, we do not find this principle of Mitkayem, which is why Harambam does not list this as a separate exemption in its own right in chapter one. Rather, in the, in the Melachot, where this exemption applies, he lists this idea of the Petur of Mitkayem. So, um, we have a few examples in the Mishnah where we have the exemption of Mitkayem. So the Mishnah in Shabbat says, okay. Zak, talking about Bone and Makeba Patish, building in the final Hamabro. Anyone who does a melacha and the melacha is permanent, chayav. Implication being, when you do a melacha and it's not permanent, then it's patur. That's the, that's the implication. And we find this in the context of boneh and makebe patish. We find this also in the context of kotev, of writing as well. That if you write either with ink which is not permanent or you write on something which is not permanent or even if you do both i.e. you write with something which isn't permanent on something which isn't permanent that's a sur midirabbanan only if you write on something is, which isn't permanent with something which isn't permanent so the ink isn't permanent and the surface area isn't permanent it's going to be two dirabbanans but even if you have just one of them it's only mitrabanan because it's not permanent. The surface area is impermanent. Ink using is impermanent. So we find that this principle of mitkayem um, with kotev, with makeba patish, and with boneh. To the best of my knowledge, those are the only places where we find them in the Talmud explicitly. Harambam extends this to tzoveya. So he says, enat tzoveya hayav seva mitkayem. You're only going to be chayav for tzoveya, for coloring and dyeing, if it's permanent. If it's not permanent at all, we're going to, we have to analyze this. Or, for example, you some dye which isn't lasting, you patur. Because you can easily get rid of it. If the action you're doing is not permanent, then you are patur. Now, the question is, what does it mean that the melacha has to be mitkayem? There has to be permanent. What does permanent mean? And what does not permanent mean? So, Rash, so you see the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, 
כל העושה מלאכה, ומלאכה מתקיימת בשבת חייו. Now if you're reading that, how do you understand what does מתקיים mean? Let's read that again. זה הכלל. כל העושה מלאכה, ומלאכתו מתקיימת בשבת, you're doing an action, and the action is permanent on Shabbat Hayav. What's the simple understanding of what that means? Any suggestions? As long as it's, as long as it's permanent on Shabbat itself, that is considered mitkayem. That's how Rambam understands it. Rambam writes that in order for it to be exempt and not be hayav because of the exemption of mitkayem, it has to be that it's not going to last over the course of Shabbat. However, the implication is if it is going to last over the course of Shabbat, but not beyond that, then you're still going to be hayav. So the simple reading of the Mishnah and of Harambam is that the definition of mitkayem is that it lasts for Shabbat. If it doesn't last after Shabbat, it's going to come out in a few days' time. That's fine. That's still going to be hayav. As long as it's mitkayem, it's permanent for Shabbat, for the 24-hour period of Shabbat, that's called hayav. Rashi, however, didn't understand like that. Rashi purposely wrote these three words here to negate this understanding. Rashi, when he, on the Mishnah, when he says Shabbat, he writes, which means, if you have a look back at the Mishnah, and the Mishnah says, Rashi explains that to mean that the word Shabbat isn't going on the Melacha. It's going on the person doing the Melacha, which means that the person doing the Melacha on Shabbat, if his Melacha is Mitkayem, Chayav. Not that the Melacha is Mitkayem on Shabbat. Rather, the person doing the action on Shabbat, if his Melacha is Mitkayem, Chayav. No Mitkayem, Patu. And that's how the Rashba understands it as well. You may ask yourself, you know, this is uh, obvious. Why does the Mishnah have to add in the Shabbat? That's a question they ask. But Rashi and Darashba and understand it to mean that the word Beshabbat isn't going on the Melacha. It's going on the person doing the Melacha. And Melachto Mitkayemet means literally the Melacha is Mitkayemet, permanent. Which the Rashba explains, the Biyaracha quotes it. He says, And you can't see anymore what you've written, right? Look, when in Yeshiva, you know, you get these people who write with very fine pencils, right? And uh, I used to be like one of these people. He said, very, I look back at my Gemara from 10, 15 years ago, it's not there anymore. The, ink, the lead is gone, right? That would still be called Mitkayem, because that's the derek. But anything less than that is not Mitkayem, even though it can last for a few days, a few weeks, or a few months. If it's not the derek, if, if, if normally it would be expected to last for longer, and it's not, that for, for Rashi and the Rashba means it's not Mitkayem. For the Rambam, however, that would still be Hayav. If it lasted past Shabbat, Hayav. That's what the Rambam writes. He says, That's what Ramagid explains as well, by the way. He says, 24 hours. If El Melachtom Mitkayem Shabbat, as long as it lasts over Shabbat, that's going to be Hayav. So that's a really fundamental difference in the Rishonim, what the definition of Mitkayem means. When we say something has to be permanent in order to be Melechet Mahshevet, does that mean there has to be uh, for a long period of time, which is the norm? Or does it mean, as Rambam understands it, just for Shabbat? Rambam is very strict here. As long as it's permanent for Shabbat, that is considered Melechet Mahshevet.
That's a really good question, Daniel. That's a really good question. I thought about that. Does that mean that some activities are permitted towards the start of Shabbat, while some activities are not allowed towards the end? That obviously can't be the case, right? Because that would be ridiculous. Uh, you have a pen which lasts for 24 hours. If I wrote on Friday night, I'll be Hayav. Sorry, if I wrote on Friday night, I'll be Patur. If I write on Shabbat afternoon, I'll be Hayav. This is gonna, no, it doesn't mean that. It means the period of Shabbat, I would imagine it to be. So that's what I'm explaining. I would imagine it for, to be the period of time, i.e. anything which would normally last over the course of Shabbat, that's Hayav, right? The 24-hour period, i.e. can last a Shabbat. Even if you are writing on a Shabbat afternoon and the thing which you're doing can only last three hours and it will last till Motzei Shabbat, that's not going to be Hayav, even though it's lasted your Shabbat. Because this isn't something which lasts a normal Shabbat, if that makes sense. You should know just quickly that some melachot, hachamim established that it's so intrinsic to the melacha, there has to be permanence or have some kind of permanence that they said that if it doesn't have this amount of permanence, it's not going to be even a sur. The obvious example is kosher. Tying and knotting. Why don't we say that every knot which you tie, even if it's for uh, only an hour, we should say that's okay, should be a sumi We don't say that. There are some melachot which Hachamim established in the, in the Geder, in the definition of the melacha, that if, you, if it, has, it hasn't got a certain amount of permanence, then you can't even say it's a sumi Right? So we hold seven days is considered. The minimum, hopefully we'll talk about kosher. It's one of the big misunderstood melachot, by the way, kosher for Sfaradim. Very misunderstood kosher. Um, there's lots to talk about kosher. And, and we hold at least, at the very least, probably even more, but at the very least, anything less than seven days, you mutar to tie and untie on Shabbat. Ashkenazim hold 24 hours. But we hold at the very least, perhaps even more, uh, seven days, it's mutar, to tie something. You can tie your shoes up for seven days, no problem at all for Sfaradim. Shkenazim, as I said, hold 24 hours. Why don't we say less than seven days or less than 24 hours for Ashkenazim is okay. Not permanent, but it should be at least the Rabbana. No. This the Hachamim said, even though it's not, even it's got, even though it's going to last for a bit of time, the definition of the Melacha of Kosher has to be something which has some kind of permanence beyond 24 or seven, uh, 24 hours or seven days. But something like Kotev, Something like um, uh, writing or like bonnet, if it's uh, got some kind of permanence, then it's going to be drabanan. And if it's got the derech of doing so, or for harambam, you do it for Shabbat, that will be hayab. One final point about mitkayem, which we see in the Mishnah and in the Rambam, is that if you do something which in itself is permanent, but some, there's something um, external which will make it not be permanent, you're still hayab. So the example in the Mishnah gives, and the Rabbam codifies this, is a kotev al besaro hayab. You write on your skin. You write on your body, on your flesh. Now you write on your flesh, within a bit of time, it's going uh, it's gonna to be erased. Why? Because of the sweat of your body will eventually get rid of it. Nonetheless, we don't consider that as enomit kayem because the actual ink is in itself ink which is permanent. The actual flesh is in itself permanent. A dead body would last. Only because something external is coming, i.e. the sweat, the water of your body is coming and erasing it, that's why it doesn't last. But be'etzem, intrinsically, this is a k'tav which is permanent. It's on something which is permanent, and therefore it's hayav. Either sweat will come and erase it, that's not enough to be considered the nomit kayem. In order for it to be considered not permanent, it has to be not permanent in the actual action which you are doing, i.e. you are writing with ink which is impermanent. You're writing on a surface area which cannot last by itself. The thing itself cannot last. For example, writing on a window. That's, yeah, well, maybe, okay, that may be slightly different. But writing on flesh, for example, is something which would be hayav because um, the actual 
ink itself and the surface area is something which would last. Okay. The final two points we need to discuss is Shinui and Mitasek. Okay, so just bear in mind, final point about Mitasek, just bear in mind that, that Mitkayem doesn't apply to all Melachot, right? There are some Melachot where we don't find this principle. It's quite a, a few Melachot where the principle of Mitkayem applies. As we said, Boneh, Soter, demolishing, Makebe Patish, Kotev, writing, Moheke, raising, Tsoveya. But in other Melachot, we don't really find the principle of Mitkayem or not, because normally, You've done it, you've done it. Borer, you've selected, you've selected, full stop. You've, you've baked and you've cooked, it's done. Right? They don't really have the principle of mitkayem um, as much as when we come to the ones which are you actually building or doing something. Shinui, or kil yad, as it's called. So the word kil yad literally means the back of your hand. That's where the concept of kilah. You write, you take the pen in between your fingers and you write to the back of your hand. That's what kilahariyat means. Now, not everything which you do with your left hand is considered a shinui. This is a big mistake people think when it comes to shinui. Everything which you do kilahariyat with your left hand is considered shinui. Absolutely not. In fact, the Mishnah clearly says in Shabbat that if you carry with your right to your left hand, even though you are right-handed, if you carry your chayav, because that's the normal way of carrying. However, if you carried in your ear or in your mouth, or you put some, you prop something in between your hand, you carry it upside down, that's going to be something which is strange, and that would be patur. Um, that would be patur. So it doesn't apply any, any left hand is patur. But we do find the concept of shinoi in a number of melachot. We find it in carrying. If you carry, as we said, in your hair, or in your mouth, or with your feet, that's going to be a shinui. Similarly, we find here, if you throw a clod of earth at a tree, and as a result of throwing the clod of earth, the dates fall, then Rav Papa wanted to say hayav. Your hayav are two things. Number one, tolesh, you are harvesting, you're detaching the, the fruits from the, from the tree. And secondly, mefarek. Okay, you are, Rashi explains this mefarek to mean that you are taking the fruit off the tree and that's a kind of extracting, Tosfot rejects this and he understands mefarek to be that when the, when the fruit falls, it comes out of its shell. So that's the extracting from the shell. In any case, Rav Asher said, It's not the normal way you're going you're gonna to pick fruit off a tree. It's not the normal way you're going to extract things from an inner kernel. You're not going to throw a clod of earth at it, and then it falls. That's considered a and therefore that is not going to be hayav, that's only going to be drabbanan. Now this concept of shinui, we only find in Shabbat, in Melechet Mahshevet. If you do shinuyim and other kinds of things in, in Torah, that's not going to make it kasher or not kasher. So a great example of this is in Chot Gitin. We find in Chot Gitin, if you write a get with your left hand, even though you're right-handed, you spent a long time writing with your left hand and it's legible, kasher. I, it's been written with your left hand and in Shabbat, it's not, you know, you're not going to be hayav. So if you're not going to be hayav, how can we say a get is going to be kasher? No. Says the Harkat Muhokek, one of the main Farshim in Evan Ha'ezer, that's not considered, uh, it doesn't make a difference you write with your left hand because the whole idea of doing with the Shinui making it not hayav and making it patur only applies in Shabbat because Shabbat you have the principle of Melechet Mahshevet but in other cases uh, it, we don't say that any Shinoi is considered the Rabbanan just one thing you should be careful of when you see the Gemara says en derech bekach, en derech bekach. it's not the derech don't think every time you see the words en derech in the Rishonim uh, this means that it's a shinui. So, for example, Rashi in Shabbat, I didn't quote it here, but Rashi in Shabbat, in Daf Gimel, writes that if you do an akira without a hanaha in Hotza'ah on Shabbat, carrying on Shabbat, in order to be hayab, you have to do an akira, you have to lift it up and hanaha and put it down. Rashi says if you do an akira, a lifting up without a hanaha, without putting down, patu. 
And so he writes, you know, chayav because and Now Rashi clearly doesn't mean that this is a shinui. That's not what he means. It's a shinui, and therefore, it's patur. He obviously doesn't mean that. What he means is, it's not the derech. It's not the way of doing the melacha. It, it's just not under the category of the melacha chotzaah if you just do just half of it. So don't think every time you see the words and derech, it's not the norm that this means straight away to shinui. It's not always the case. Similarly, we find. Rashi says, when talking about Bishul Bahama, so we know you're not allowed to cook on Shabbat, but if you cook in the sun, um, Bishul Bahama, it's mutar. Yeah? Tordot Chama is Asur, but to cook in the sun itself, to take out an egg in your hand and roast and uh, roast in the sun is mutar. And Rashi says, because En Derech Bishul Bakach. Now clearly Rashi doesn't mean the En Derech Bishul Bakach and it's a Shinui and, uh, uh, and, and, um, uh, and therefore that's why it's mutar, because it wouldn't be mutar then. And it's obviously, it's a, that's a normal way of cooking. People cook it in the sun. It's just, it's not the geder, it's not the melacha in the mishkan was cooking with fire, not with the sun. It's a different kind of melacha. So just note that when you see the words en derech, that doesn't always mean it's a shinoi. Now there are some things which are such a shinui, so different that the hachamim didn't prohibit it and actually allowed it completely. So you have in Shohan Aruch, in the, it's based on the Gwana, the Gwana says, Mutar laduch pilpilin afilu harbe, sakin. You're allowed to grind peppers. If you grind them with the back of the handle, the hand, the, the back of the knife, the handle of the knife. So tochen is one of thirty milachot to grind. But if you tochen with the kata de sakina, with the handle of the knife, this is considered such a shinui that this isn't part of the melacha of tochen, and therefore it's mutar to do. The reason has to be bekeara is because of ovadin dechor. It's nothing to do with the tochen. Right, so you see, the samelachot are straight out mutar if it's done in a manner which is so different to the way it was done in the mishkan. To grind with the handle of a knife is so different that it's actually mutar, and that's that's by the way the halacha. You can take an avocado on Shabbat and mash it with the handle of a knife, and that's fine to do because that's not part of tochen. Similarly, we find in lash. I didn't quote it here, but you find in lash with kneading. So you're not allowed to knead on Shabbat to mix things together. However, shtiva ere, if you mix in crisscross strokes, this is actually mutar. It's for us faradim at least. with lash, but for us, you're allowed to put two things together, and even though they bind with one another, um, it's still going to be considered mutar if you mix them together with crisscross strokes. You take a mashed egg. You take mayonnaise and you put them together and you bind them and, and, and mix them together. If you do it, shtiva erev, it's called crisscross, it's mutar. Because it's so different to the way that the, the melacha is and therefore it's mutar. We find a similar concept in sahita when it comes to squeezing on Shabbat. You know how to squeeze on Shabbat. Um, but the basis of brings an opinion that, and this is quoted in the Ramah, that you're allowed to squeeze grapes with your mouth so you have to take the grape to your mouth and suck it and squeeze the juice not talking about in your mouth in your mouth you can do what you want that's 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 the way of eating we're talking about putting a grape by your lips and then sucking the juice out of the grapes so some rishonim held that's mutar because that's so different to squeezing or to threshing it's so different as the regular sahita that's not going to be a melacha at all the halacha we hold that with zetim va'anavim, with olives and grapes, we don't do so, but with all other fruits, you're allowed to do so. You can take an orange to your mouth and suck the juice out of the orange on Shabbat, that's mutar. Yeah, and all these fruits you're allowed to, the only things we don't do are zetim va'anavim, olives and grapes, because they are deoraita, we don't do that. Cutting them for a salad, what's wrong with that? It's, it's mutar. Um, you have to be careful of mashkin shezavur, is it the surdra banan, of the liquids, if, they uh, flow, the liquids which come out can sometimes be asur or not. 
but the actual act of cutting them it applies. So it's interesting question there in the chat box, does uh, the Shinui apply to all Melachot or uh, is it limited like Mitzkayim? That's a really interesting question, Rob. And the answer is, the answer is I'm conflicted about this because you find almost all the Melachot, you find the principle. And by the way, let me just say, you know, this, which we're talking about, this Shinui, um, the Hachamim, there's many, many examples. I haven't listed all the examples. You know, I've given you an example in Kotzer, in harvesting. I've given you an example in Tochen. I've given you examples in, uh, um, in, in carrying, in writing with your left hand, right? Left hand only applies in writing. There's a discussion about whether Shohet applies if you do with your left hand, right? That's a discussion. But the left hand isn't a, a you know, uh, an exemption for Shinoi at all, right? But you find many examples in the Gemara of Melachot um, Kilahariyat. For example, we find with cutting the nails, right? Cutting nails, if you do it Bishinoi, i.e., you bite your nails, that's, that's a Shinoi, that's Darbanan. We find it if you, yeah, and this is even though the Melacha is done with a kli, but it's being done with your hand knife, you pick your nails, that's going to be a shinoi, going to be drabanan. You find the other way around. If you pluck the feather of a uh, chicken with your hand, that's also patur, because the norm is to do it with a, the norm is to do it with a kli, with a utensil. So you find many examples, much more than mitkayem, where the principle of, of, um, of Shinoi applies. What troubles me, though, is that Rambam doesn't list Shinoi in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he lists all the, all the general exemptions, but he doesn't list Shinoi, which is it's interesting why he doesn't do that. But certainly you find it in many Melachot, that, and in contemporary poskim as well, where they write that, you know, uh, using an elbow, to switch the lights off, that's considered a shinoi. To switch the lights off with your left hand isn't a shinoi. But to switch off with your elbow is a shinoi. So again, you're ill, you're in bed, and you need to switch the lights off. You can't fall asleep. There's no danger, but you're very ill. Um, and there's no goy to come and switch the lights off. You can use your elbow and switch the lights off with your elbow. That would be mutar to do. So um, it's an interesting question that, but uh, it depends uh, you know, it seemingly does apply to almost all the melachot that, the, that Shinoi works. Okay, so, ladies and gentlemen, um, um, there are more principles to go through, but I think we're going to stop with principles now. Next time, we're going to go to Halakha We have another four or five shurim, and we've spent the first three on the principles, but um, I think we're now going to go to practical Halakha and that we will begin in a couple of weeks' time. Next week, I'm away again, so I'm not going to be here. Um, I'm not going to be here next time, next Monday. But we will continue in two weeks' time throughout the rest of August. I'll be here, and we'll do all the, um, uh, all the practical halakha. What I want to focus on is, is the places of halakha where there's a misunderstanding and difference between Ashkenazim and Tzfaradi. We know the basic halachot of Shabbat. What I want to do is the kinds of things where people think are asur or people think are mutar, and really for Sfaradim it's mutar or it's asur, and you know clear the misconceptions, the many misconceptions that there are with Melechet Shabbat. That Bezat Hashem we will do in a couple of weeks' time. So just to summarize, next week we won't have shiur. Um, feel free over the next few weeks to go over the, the principles which we've learned over the first three weeks. As I said, these are the principles, these are the really important points. And once you have all these principles, everything else falls into place. Um, Daniel says, we'd like to mention alternative explanation with Kaim Kuntarambam. He mentioned it specifically with Sovea because the painting dying has to become permanent on the Shabbat. I yes, to dry on Shabbat. It's not that it lasts for the Shabbat, but it becomes permanent on Shabbat. Um, but that's not necessarily true, Daniel. If you put um, if you put the food on the fire on Shabbat towards the end of Shabbat 
الحياة فلات well if it ends if yeah no well not necessarily um interesting i hear what you're saying i have to think about that rava magid does say that it's 24 hours which is why khabdala chauti says which is why i'm explaining it the way i think but i hear what you're saying let me think about it is the issue of using makeup much about exactly yes that's exactly the point hannah that um the reason why makeup is a sore is because at the very least it's somewhat it's the rabbanan the very least regular makeup because it's uh it's it lasts in the skin but water-based makeup which can easily come off it's got no permanence at all it's so transient many that's what they have the today these hechshed makeups for shabbat that's the idea um it's dry powder so that's mutar liquid forms certain kind of liquid forms which stick to the stick to the face that's the problem um, because it's got even it's not going to be definitely won't be Doraita because not with Kayem, but it will be the Rabbanando. So that, that's that's how it is. Okay, any other questions? Okay, good. Lovely to see you, everyone. Um, as I said, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll resume with uh, practical Khalamase, go over the principles, and Brazil Hashem, we will see you again in two weeks' time, Monday evening, God willing, in person in London. Court of all the best, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Rebecca. That was very interesting and very easy to understand. Thank you. Pleasure to hear. Thank you. That's all for now, folks. Thanks and have a great day.